Welcome to the ARC Business Exits Podcast, where we have amazing conversations tailored around buying and selling businesses. Our guests are owners and founders, mergers and acquisitions experts, and other relevant industry leaders. Additionally, many of our guests will be discussing the rugged yet rewarding path of an entrepreneur's journey. We dive deep to truly uncover the greatness and grit of our guests. I'm your host, Jared Osborne, founder of Arc Business Exit. We represent sellers or buyers during the sale of a company. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. Paul Ranieri, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. Good, good. So Paul Ranieri is a tax strategist with Engineered Capital Gain Solutions. So I hope all the sellers and buyers who potentially want to exit down the road are going to be listening very closely to this conversation. I'm super excited. We've had someone who to exit on the podcast. We've had someone who's bought on the podcast. Uh, we've had someone who's bought, had been in a been not in well on the podcast, and then we've had investors on the podcast. So you are our first uh, tax strategist, which I know everybody loves to hear in business and entrepreneurship. So I'm excited to dive in. Totally. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. So Paul, why don't we just start off with kind of take 30 seconds to a minute. Tell us a little about yourself. Take longer if you need to. Give us some background on who you are you know, what you're upbringing, how it shaped you today and, and what you're doing today. Yeah, man. So um, my name is Paul Ranieri. I was born and raised in Southern California uh, in an extremely close and loving Italian household. Um, I graduated with a degree in finance from San Diego State University, go Aztecs. Uh, and then I finally, after that, made my way back up the coastline to uh, Ventura County to be close to my family. And then um, both my father and I, we had both uh, some pretty serious health issues, um, health scares. And I think that it really shaped me into the person I am today. And if you want, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but I, I think yep. my mindset really shifted from how can I make the most money after college to how can I help the most people after college? And I think that that's part of the reason I, you know, been able to find so much success in business at, at such a young age. Gotcha. So tell me a little bit. I mean, you, you you do work for a corporation, but I feel like you're an entrepreneur within your corporation. You, I mean, I, I hate to label you as a sales guy, but you're helping. We all know because we're salespeople, right? We own our own business. Our, we bring in our own business. So therefore, we are entrepreneurs, whether you own your own business or whether you're within a corporation. So talk to me a little about what your family upbringing, maybe the the story, how that shaped you from a mentality to create, go out there and create your own business. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. So let me kind of give you a little bit more on my story. I think that might kind of help explain how I got to where I am today in this, uh, this business, which is a little bit, you know, uncommon, untraditional of a, uh, a path. So, uh, about maybe a month or two before uh, my graduation. So it was April of would have been 2021. I found out that my my dad, the strongest man I knew, um, he was diagnosed with ALS. And so, you know, I don't think that that was something that I was ever ready to hear. Um, and I don't think it's something I'll, I'll ever be able to fully process, comprehend. Um, and then, you know, so I was praying to God before bed one night and I just asked, hey, you know, give me strength, give me wisdom, give me the knowledge, help me get through this, you know, take me where I need to be. And uh, a few weeks later, I was actually diagnosed with cancer during my finals week. And, uh, my God, you know, I, I had surgery, removed the tumors. And, um, about, you know, a month later after the biopsies came back, I found out that, um, my cancer was stage three at this point. It had spread throughout my body. Um, I needed to do, you know, pretty vigorous chemotherapy. I looked like, you know, the classic skeleton going through chemo uh, my, my entire life. It did a 180, and. Right. Um, you know, I looked up, I said, God, this isn't what I asked for. Right. right. Um, and, uh, you know, you always had a plan for me. And this and, is the uh, same time as your, as your father, just so I have the timeline correct. Yeah. Same time. So it was, you know, April of 2021, we found out he was diagnosed and then, um, beginning of May and then towards the end of May, I found out, um, 
that, you know, I had to do chemo and it was, it was pretty crazy. And so the doctors, they told me, Hey, you're going to lose 40 pounds. You know, you're going to be bald. You're going to, you know, it's going to be a nightmare, but you know, you got 65, 70% chance of, you know, beating it. So, um, first thing I asked was, Hey, are you guys going to give me steroids? Can I work out? Uh, and you know, I thought I was, you know, a smart guy who was kind of just being funny, but, uh, he told me, no, you know, again, you're going to lose 40 pounds. I don't recommend it. So me being a stubborn person that I am, um, I ended up gaining a pound and a half and I worked out five days a week because I figured, you know, other people don't beat this and I bet you they're not doing that. So I'm going to beat this and I'm going to do whatever I need to. Um, and so it really just shifted my mindset it's something I I don't think you can like teach. Um, and I don't think I would have ever had it, uh, uh, to be quite honest with you. And unless I kind of had that, you know, gun to my head, forcing me to do it. And, um, I'm forever grateful that it happened to me because, um, again, I, I just, I don't know if I would have ever been the person I am today. And my, my dad, he, he always ingrained this, this saying into me. And it was that, you know, that there's two things in your life that you can control. Um, you have complete control over both your attitude and your effort in every situation that you're in. And so, you know, I would think about, Hey, this is, this sucks. Right. And, and I'd be like, no, I flip this. You know, I, I'm blessed to wake up this morning. I'm blessed to be able to fight and um, and just give it my best because at the end of the day, if I try my hardest, at least I know, you know, I'm not I'm not losing anything. I did my best, so it it is what it is. And um, yeah, anyways, just just to wrap it up, I think it's a lot of the reason I've had so much success. I mean, in my short mortgage career, we can talk about that as well. Um, and now helping people defer capital gains, focus on the things that just really matter in their life. And focusing yep. on spending more time with family, friends, um, kids, their grandchildren, things like that. Yeah, that's powerful. It's very powerful because we all, you know, we graduate college. We want to make money. We want to make a lot of money. And sometimes if you just equate money with perspective, helping people, perspective of just, you know, waking up to breathe, right? Um, waking up to be able to do the things you're doing, the working out is so important. Right. I think we all, we all need money. We're entrepreneurs. We're, we're in sales. We all need money to live and to live a good life. And so I implore anybody to go chase money, but money without perspective, like you've gained is, is nothing. Right. So right. how did that transition into your, so you spent a, some short time in mortgage before you talk a little bit about that and then we'll get into the tax. Yeah. Definitely. So I was actually a loan officer at a, a big company. Uh, for most people listening, you probably have heard of it, um, Penny Mac. And uh, I was a purchase dedicated loan officer there. It's a wonderful company. Uh, they're, they're awesome. I did en- uh, eventually quit, uh, not because they were bad by any means. I, I don't think I could say a bad thing about them. Um, but it was more of a, a commute thing. I had about an hour and a half drive every day to work. And so love the job. I love getting to help people. Um, and that's really the reason why I, I took the job in the first place. I was getting to help people buy their first houses, buy investment properties, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, I helped some young kids be able to purchase their first house. I helped elderly folks be able to purchase, you know, maybe their their last home. Um, it was just really fulfilling, really rewarding um, and really exciting work to be doing um, just because I felt like I was making a difference. And um, towards the end of my time there, I... You know, I was kind of struggling with that that commute, like I mentioned, and um, I just wanted to be able to be a little bit closer to home, closer to my dad, be able to spend some time with him. And I actually got a call from where I currently work at Engineer Capital Gain Solutions, and they offered me another position, the current one I'm in, where I get to help people defer capital gains taxes. I still get to make a difference in their life. I still get to help them now focus on all the things that truly matter. And it was nine minutes away from my house. So it was just a win-win situation and, and I was sold. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, especially living in the state of California, uh, your your value statement uh, or your elevator pitch, I'm sure is uh, welcomed in many conversations and many business tables. So give us kind of a um, simple definition, fifth grade version, if you will. I always like to say uh, engineered capital gain solutions. What do you guys do? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So we help owners of highly appreciated assets defer their capital gains taxes and generate an income so that, again, they can focus on what actually matters to them and instead of paying Uncle Sam a, a huge check right out of pocket. Gotcha. Well, 
So let's talk about how it works. Um, you, you deal with real estate folks, obviously, or someone who's about to exit their business. What's the first thing that takes place? Do they come to you um, or do they already have an advisor that maybe has been referred to you? And then what, what steps do you take? Yeah. So generally how it works, most of the time we have a pretty big referral like network where people are reaching out to us. We're adding value to their clients. They're excited. Um, they're, they're just helping their clients. And so um, they'll reach out to us. They'll say, hey, you know, I've got a client and they're maybe they're selling like a $5 million business. They're going to owe, you know, maybe a million dollars in capital gains taxes. Can you help them out? So uh, generally what's going to happen first, we'll get on a phone call, our trustee, our attorney, and just determine if it's going to be a good fit for them. Um, and, and you know, if it's not going to be a good fit based on their goals, what they want to do, then we'll, we'll be the first ones to tell them. But um, how it works. So, and I'll just kind of give a, a very basic um, overview, I guess that might be easiest. Um, it's kind of a few step process. So first thing, um, again, we'll go back to like a, a business. Let's say they're selling like a $5 million business. Um, they sell the asset to the third party trustee, which is engineer capital gain solutions, um, in consideration of a secured DST installment contract. Um, second, the third party DST trustee, we buy the asset. Uh, the third party DST trustee sells the asset to the ultimate buyer. Um, fourth, the funds go into the trust in exchange uh, for the asset. And then uh, fifth, the seller approves the DST asset allocation in note terms that are actually provided by the trust's financial advisor. Um, and then the DST note, it generates an income. So their investments are generating an income. And then the secured DST installment payments are made to the seller uh, from the trust. So really it's to generate an income to help them, you know, create more income with more money that they would have otherwise written to Uncle Sam. So instead instead of me getting my lump sum of my $5 million, I'm going to get that over time through maybe a five-year, 10-year, 20-year term. Is there is there a specific term that, that's typical? Yeah. So all of the uh, notes are written on a 10-year promissory note because um, it has to be commercial commercially reasonable. And so if you go to a bank, you know, obviously they're not going to give you like a 30-year note. Um, they're going to give you like a 10-year note. And at the end of that 10 years, uh, if things are going well, if everything has been going good, you, you're comfortable, you like it, you can choose to renew at that time. Um, but it is set off of a 10-year promissory note. Okay. And then why does the IRS treat this as a different tax event? It's just because I'm getting paid less over time. How is the tax benefit really not dodging the IRS rule, I guess, if you will. Yeah, so really good question. So anytime that ta um, the principal is touched, the clients owe capital gains taxes. So this is not a tax elimination strategy. It's not a tax avoidance strategy. Um, it's simply a tax deferral. And so if you think about it, almost like a traditional uh, IRA, where the money is growing inside of it, and then when you take it, the IRS, you know, their their nose kind of flares out. They smell the They smell blood. And uh, they're like, oh, let's collect our check. And so it's the same thing here. So anytime that the client receives the money, they will uh, be paying taxes. So if they're generating, let's say, 5% interest every year and, you know, they've got, I'm just going to use a million dollars because it's an easy number. So if they're generating 5% interest. That's $50,000 a year. And their note is paying $50,000 a year. Um, that gets taxed to them as interest. Uh, income, so income tax, and it's actually a higher rate than capital gains tax. So the IRS is stoked; they're getting a little extra money. Um, but the pro for the the client is that they are now, you know, generating it off of a million dollars instead of let's say six hundred thousand. So it's kind of a win win situation there. And then if the client maybe maybe they want seven percent of their money that year, and that that's no problem. But the note only generated five. Well, then they they'll still get that seven percent, but they'll pay the extra two percent in proportionate amount in capital gains taxes at that time. So taxes are always owed. There's there's no way to avoid them, get around them. Taxes sure. are always owed. So I think a lot of people misunderstand that. They think that this is a some sort of, you know, scam tax strategy. It, it sadly, I wish I could tell our clients that, you know, <laughs> hey, we have a way never pay taxes. No, this is right. not the case. Right. So you so the 5 million is getting let's call it a 5% interest rate. Sure. Versus if you were you know, if you were to get capital gains on that, take away 30% of that 5 million, then you would only get 5% on, call it three and a half, three million. So you're deferring, you're not avoiding. Exactly that. Yep. You got it. 
Okay, cool. Okay, what are what are the what are your clients saying? What are some what are some things they love? And then let let's talk about what are some things maybe they they wish they had, they could be enhanced by the by the product or service that you have. Yeah, no, you bet. So I think our clients they love a few things about it. So they really love the flexibility and the simplicity of the deferred sales trust as opposed to other tax strategies. Um, some really common ones that a lot of people um, get on a call with us about is they're saying, "Hey, I'm looking at a charitable remainder trust." And it's just so much simpler. They they still get to, if they'd like, you know, donate to that charity and now they don't have to pledge all their funds from the start. And it's just a lot easier going. And there's also a lot of uh, ability to, you know, let's say real estate, they can diversify out of real estate without the same maybe constraints where people only think that the 1031 is their only option. Um, you know, they've got the 45 days to identify, they've got the 180 days to close. Um, they feel a little bit, I, I guess the right word again is constrained um, because, you know, they're like, well, I can't find a property that I really like, or, sure. you know, this doesn't fit what I need. This doesn't fit, you know, the the dollar amount that I'm looking for, et cetera. Um, or it's not in a market that I, uh, you know, I know well, I, I'm not too certain about this. And so, um, it really just gives them a lot of options to exit. And if they want, they can get back into real estate at a later time. It, it's you know a great way for both business owners, real estate investors, um, and really anybody with a highly appreciated asset to you know get out of their illiquid asset or you know retire even with a couple extra million dollars or hundred thousand dollars or um, and it's a huge relief. Right. I love that because, um, so I help people buy and sell business. I'm not going to pretend to be a real estate expert, but so often real estate's intertwined with helping people buy and sell companies. And what you see is that the, they rush into something, right? Because they have that 45 day, uh, window. They're rushing into a, a multifamily unit that doesn't make sense. They're rushing into an industrial property that doesn't make sense. And so that I love what you said because this is very important. It's great to to save tax or to defer your taxes through 1031, but what if you're rushing into an investment that doesn't even make sense and you end up losing more money than you saved in taxes because of a bad investment? This this product will allow you to obviously have another option. Exactly. And we get a lot of our clients too who again like just like you mentioned where they maybe they own the business but they also own the real estate. And we've seen um, some clients who will actually do a 1031 with their real estate and then they'll do a deferred sales trust uh, for their business. So it's um, it's really flexible too. I mean, some of them have done, you know, half of their property. They wanted to just take the funds, uh, use half of it to defer the capital gains taxes. Some people, you know, they they built these businesses, this real estate, they've held on to it for a long time. They want to, you know, pay off their mortgage. Um, they want to do things like that. And when they take those funds, obviously they have to pay capital gains taxes on that prior um, and just take it into their pocket and pay off their their own you know, personal mortgage. Uh, and so it's, it's really interesting how uh, flexible it really is. And I think that's definitely something that all of our clients love. Gotcha. And um, yeah, you mentioned that you had, I think we, we talked before the call and you mentioned somebody reached out to you at the very big real estate real estate portfolio actually uh this is the plug to your podcast but you were what your podcast somebody had saw your podcast on linkedin and reached out to you with like 30 or 40 million dollar real estate portfolio which is awesome how quickly can it happen right so they give you a call we just talked about the process and the steps how quickly can this trust you know be made or so the, yeah yeah so in a perfect world usually we like to be involved around the um, letter of intent Okay. part of the process. Now, again, that's a perfect world. Um, generally, we we could do it in probably a week or two. We just like to give our attorney time to not rush things. Um, the more time that we give it, the better it is. Uh, with that being said, I mean, if you're a week or two out and um, definitely still give us a call and, and we'll try and make things happen. Um, and then what are some of the, the objections or that you have to overcome in this? Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Sometimes like it seems to be like a too good to be true scenario. So what are some of the objections that your your firm has to overcome? Yeah, so there's um there's a lot of hesitancy because there's a, another strategy that was also on the 453 uh, tax code 
Uh, and so it's a, it's under an installment sale and it was actually called a, a monetized installment sale for obvious reasons. Um, I'm sure you probably read about it. It was listed recently as a, a listed transaction. It was on the IRS 30 dozen list. So a lot of people kind of put those two together, the deferred sales trust with the monetized installment sale. Um, they're in no way related. It's just the same tax code that was used, but it's used differently. So um, if you're familiar with the monetized installment sale uh, and for anybody listening, if you're not 453, explain that to our listeners. 453. Yes. 453 is just the uh, internal revenue code under installment sales, just lists out exactly the the rules uh, for an installment sale. And oh. I'm not a tax attorney. I don't know, you know, memorized code line by line what that uh, exactly entails, but uh, it, it's the tax code that our structure is based on. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. And so um, what a monetized installment sale was is, and, and you'll understand right away why this was, this got shot down. It's they were basically taking, you know, let's say a million dollar sale. They were saying, hey, give our company, you know, $30,000 and we'll write you a, a loan for 970000 You can put it in your pocket, do whatever you want with it, pay us back in 30 years. The IRS is coming down. They're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you guys doing? This is, you know, constructive receipt. You have the funds. You can do whatever you want with it. Pay taxes. Right. Yeah. And so obviously there was a bunch of open audits, a bunch of cases that they couldn't close out. Um, and and for yeah. as you can see, there, there's so many problems with that. And so um, when it was listed uh, or when it became a listed transaction, people were a little bit hesitant. They're like, hey, you know, deferred sales trust, this, this is the same thing. Right. And so we usually go through the process. Our attorney will get on the call, explain why it's different. And that's the biggest thing about the deferred sales trust. It's that Clients have to refrain from taking constructive receipt. And that's actually why really we're in business. We're a third party trustee. So we're not their brother. We're not their mom. We're not their, you know, step sister, wh whoever, whoever it might be who's managing the, or, or, you know, is their trustee, right? Um, so they can't just go and say, hey, you know, give me some money, right? So it's a third party, completely unaffiliated person. There's also a third party financial advisor, a third party attorney. So the money is not under their control. And I think that might be one of the things that clients wish we could, you know, you know, wasn't a feature of the trust. They, they wish that they could have um, full control over their money, kind of like what the monetized installment sale offered. And so that's why it was our biggest competition uh, because it, it offered something that legally we knew we couldn't offer. Um, and we wanted to do things by the book. And so um, I think, and you'll probably agree with this, most Americans in general, probably wish uncle Sam didn't exist, mm -hmm. right? He's the silent partner, the, the everybody's least favorite uncle. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably one of the biggest things is that clients wish they could take all their money, not pay taxes. They wish they had more control over it. Um, and now deferred sales trust, it offers flexibility, but not control over your money. And that's a really big distinction that um, I think a lot of people need to understand right away. And that's why it's been, you know, working for over 24 years. There's been thousands of trusts. There's been IRS audits. They've all come back fully closed out. No changes required. Um, and so all that is really important for the success of the deferred sales trust. Yeah. That's important too, because I mean, the product, like I said, it's been around for a while. It's been proven. Uh, your firm's executed many. Other firms have executed many. And audits, it's been fully vetted and it worked. Exactly. Does it, so if I'm selling a business, does it matter if it's an asset or a stock sell in terms of how you, how your product works? So that's a really good question. So there, there's a couple of things. So generally speaking, as you know, I mean, a stock sale is just typically simpler for clients. Now, our attorney that we work with, he's got 30 years experience in the M&A space. Um, and he also works as a qualified intermediary on the real estate side. So he's really an expert in all things transactional. And so he, it's great to have him on the team because he'll work with the seller and he'll say, hey, look, you know, the, it looks like the buyer has requested that, you know, this is, um, you know, either asset sale or stock sale. This is going to be beneficial for you. This thing is not beneficial for you. Do you want to negotiate a certain way? Um, he'll work with the broker. He'll work with uh, the seller to really make sure that um, it's going to be the most tax advantageous for the client. And um, the other thing too, to look into is um, oftentimes there's some depreciation recapture um, when, you know, you're not doing a, uh, when you're doing like an asset sale. And so yep. that, that comes into play. 
And you know, that, that can't be deferred. You have to pay that up front. And of course the, the client always will pay that. And so it's just things to look at, but yes, generally speaking, a stock sale is just a little bit simpler, um, but it doesn't impact, uh, the tax deferral aspect of things, just the, the little, uh, minor, you know, um, depreciation recapture, things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And for those who don't know recapture, recapture, meaning if they've accelerated depreciation and they had just sold, like they accelerated it like the, that first year or the year before they sold. And now they got to pay some of that back that they've accelerated. Exactly. Um, uh, real estate liquidity events operated. Um, so what, what is real so real estate liquidity versus business, you know, liquidity events. Obviously, real estate has a lot more tax benefits than than businesses do. How is any there? Is there any big differences to point out how you approach it being was it's real estate asset or a business asset? Yeah, really great question again. So when real estate is in question, generally our first concern is just going to be to make sure that. The deferred sales trust is actually the best fit for the client because as you know, there's a lot of other popular strategies, 1031 exchange, Delaware statutory trust, that they might fit the client's goals a little bit better. And what I mean by that is if you know the client has a property that they know that they want, they have identified it, they know they can identify it within 45 days, they're ready to close on it um, within the 180 day time frame. Usually it's going to be a better fit. They want to get back into real estate, just go that route. Um, it's going to be a lot more beneficial for the client. And um, like I mentioned to you earlier, our attorney, he's got that 30 years experience in the M&A world. Also, um, he's a 1031QI, so he's really unbiased, which is awesome, especially for our clients who have real estate because they can get an unbiased opinion on which is going to be best. And so the first thing we'll look into just what are your goals? If, if taxes weren't a problem, where would you want to put this money? What would you want to do with it? What is your current financial situation? What is your you know, what does this whole picture look like? Um, and there's definitely cases where the deferred sales trust makes way more sense, but there's also situations where a 1031 makes more sense. So, um, yeah, we're, we're the first ones to let them know. And gotcha. they actually, the deferred sales trust, it's a great safety net for the 1031 exchange, which is what a lot of our clients actually use it for. So just in case something happens, maybe the buyer falls out, whatever it may be at, at the last minute, and they're going to, you know, oh, um, taxes at that time, it's a great safety net so that they can at least continue to defer those gains. Gotcha. Make that. Um, I'm always, I'm always looking for opportunities and positions, not for myself, but for other individuals who want to get in spaces like you and they don't, they're not an attorney, they're not a CPA, they don't need some sort of license, right? I always try to find these really well-paying, successful, fulfilling opportunities and jobs where you don't need license, right? Somebody can start. Is that the case in your position? Is you have an attorney, you are your your firm set up as a trust, you don't actually need license to to operate in your capacity? So in my capacity, good good question. So I work for uh, David and Quinn Ellis. They're the co-trustees of Engineer Capital Gain Solutions. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about their story. So the reason they became a trustee is they were actually doing some pretty high level estate planning for a private equity firm. And um, at the time, the private equity firm, their largest concern was capital gains taxes. And so uh, David and Quinn, they were looking into a bunch of different strategies. And what they found was that they operated far too much in that gray area. And um, they they just weren't comfortable giving these to uh, the private equity firm. Their attorneys didn't like it. And so they were having trouble finding something that worked. And so they were eventually introduced to Robert Binkley, the, the founder and CEO of the estate planning team. And that's when they found something that was, that finally worked. It wasn't any longer in the gray area. The attorneys signed off on it. Um, everything looked great. And then they really hit it off with Robert. And based on their background, uh, David and Quinn together, they have over 45 years as fiduciaries in the financial services industry. Um, Robert actually asked them to become a trustee for the deferred sales trust. And so they immediately, they dropped their um, securities licenses um, just to ensure there's no conflict of interest with the clients. And now there's their sole focus is as trustee and they're ensuring that you know clients are well taken care of. And so for me being in this industry, um, 
yeah, you know, uh, I I work for them, but essentially it's it's almost like an entrepreneur entrepreneurial ship um, type role where I really get to um, figure out the best ways to help people, and and they just want to make sure that I'm helping as many people as possible, and that's exactly what I wanted. Um, so it's really really great. They're some of the the nicest people in the world. Um, you couldn't find a, a better trustee, better person. Um, just so giving, generous. Uh, it, it's really awesome to you know, learn from them, work under them, work with them. Uh, it, it's been a blast. Yeah. And I love that about your position. I mean, you get to work with entrepreneurs, you get to work with people who own a lot of real estate, own businesses. And, you know, what you do is, is very niche, but at the same time, there's not super, there's not a lot of certification, you know, barriers to entry, which is very cool, cool and unique about your, your situation. Yeah. And so David and Quinn, they did have to go through some, um, you know, barriers to entry, right? They, they had to become trustees. They had to pay to, uh, pay to learn and and get, you know, um, get involved with the estate planning team. And, um, and so that was definitely one barrier to entry for me. I got a little bit lucky. I was able to kind of learn under them. And so, you know, opportunity is out there for anybody listening. If you're interested in finding a niche role like this, I mean, just start asking the, the biggest thing is, um, when you're looking for opportunity, you'll find it. And, um, you know, it's kind of like if you're looking for obstacles, uh, at all times when you're driving, you're eventually going to hit them because that's all you're focused on. And so, um, I like to kind of think about it, you know, in, in terms of golf, I'm a pretty big golfer. I know you are as well. Um, I'm not the best golfer in the world. And so when I see a tree, I I know for a fact that I'm going to hit it. It could be the only tree in the middle of the fairway and there's, you know, open fields around it, but I promise you I'm going to hit the tree. And so, um, I started, you know, when I was golfing, not looking at the trees, just only looking at the fairways. And sure enough, you start hitting more fairways. Right. And um, it, it's a, it's definitely something that is really interesting. And, and there's some psychological studies that were done. Um, and I might butcher this, so I apologize. But it was with, uh, with um, pilots who were told, hey, you know, there's X, Y, and Z. There's a barriers over here. There's a, things don't hit them. And they hit them every time because they were thinking about it. So um, if you focus on the obstacles, you will hit them. So just start going out there, focus on, you know, finding things, finding opportunities, and they, they will come. Love it. You've got to work with a lot of amazing clients. Um, I know you can't give out too much detailed information, but give us one client that really stuck out, um, that was super exciting, that, you know, maybe you awed them, or maybe you thought you couldn't help them at first and all of a sudden you guys found a solution. Tell, tell us something there. Yeah, so let me give you a couple. So I want to start with one. It, it hasn't closed yet. Um, so don't think that it's closed, anything like that. Um, I won't give any names, but uh, this client, he came to us and I've talked about this before on a few podcasts. So it's really interesting. It's always the one that's really exciting. Um, at least for me, it was. So there was a client that called in and they had a Picasso painting that uh, had been passed down through generations. Their, their best guess was that it was worth somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 50 million. And they were actually in the process of paying a quarter million dollars to get it audited uh, or audited. I think that's the right word, uh, appraised. They were getting it appraised. Okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was going to fall anywhere within that ballpark. And it was really, really cool because you don't get to see stuff like that every day. We've worked with um, people like that, some people who got into crypto back in you know 2010 they said, ah, oh, yeah, I put $10,000 in. My buddy told me it would be great. And I love that. They're my best friend now. And so um, it, it's really cool. Now, one client that comes to mind that uh, we, we've we worked really close with and they are um, it's a little bit smaller. They started a, a side business actually. And uh, it was in... Um, it's like technological services, I'll say. And mm-hmm. so uh, they're they're a software service company, and um, they recently were selling for a little over two million dollars. And they came to us. They're like, "Look, we've got you know a couple hundred thousand dollars that we're going to be paying capital gains taxes. We'd like to defer that. We want to you know with that money, if we're making even five or six percent on it in the market, then we could pay for our kids' school. Like that, that's our goal. We want to use this money pay for our kids' school. We both work W two. Um, so we don't really need the money right now. We just want to use it when we need it. Um, and later on down the road, it, it's going to be a, um, really great. So we can 
provide for our kids the best. And so um, that one actually is uh, closing next week, which will be really cool for them. Uh, they're really excited. They, they know that uh, it's going to be super beneficial for them. In over you know 10 years, it's going to be the difference between them making a few hundred thousand dollars and you know a lot less, um, right. you know, probably $100,000. So it's really, really cool. It's a great strategy. Um, if it fits for you, some, some people it doesn't work and that's okay. So I've, I've been watching you over the last six months, you know, on social media and seeing your presence really grow. Uh, talk to me about, you know, a little bit about LinkedIn or social media, you know, good sales techniques and sales tactics. We're always trying to find that, you know, that silver bullet get more clients, more business authentically and genuinely. You do a very good job of that, Paul. And I've noticed through some through your posts, through your podcast, that you're just genuinely offering good advice. Um, you know, how do you, you know, what comes to mind when you use LinkedIn? How does it help you? And if, if there's any other social media that you use? Yeah. So I think you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head already. I mean, it's, it's really about being genuine. It's about being authentic. So whether, you know, you're on LinkedIn or you're on another social media platform, um, or if you're just going out to meet people in person, um, people like to do business with people that they trust, they feel comfortable with. And so I want to try and get that across in every LinkedIn post, every social media post, every time I meet someone new. Um, and I think it's all just about being yourself. And, and it's so cliche to say that, um, but a lot of people, what they try to do is they'll, you know, if you're selling something or if you're working with high net worth clients, whatever that might be, you know, you're, you're putting on your suit, you're tie, you're getting your tie all nice and tidy. You're looking clean. You've got a, you know, the cleanest shave you shaved three times in the same day. Um, <laughs> and you're just kind of being fake. Are you trying to use big words? Um, just be real, you know, talk to them like you would a friend because they, people like to do business with their friends. They like to know you, they want to know you. And so I think the biggest thing is just being genuine um, and, and being open about who you are, what you do, how you help people. Because if you never tell people how you help or what you do, they can't call you. They can't right. say, hey, Paul, I've got a client who, you know, big capital gains tax problem. Can you help? They, they yep. would never know. So I think just sharing your message, being authentic and genuine is, is the biggest, um, biggest advice I could give. Sure. Love it. Um, you've played a little bit of motivation getting my podcast started, so I appreciate that. Well, um, how has the podcast helped in the same realm of you know whether it's bringing in business or just be able to tell your message and tell your story and bring on other experts? How has that helped your brand? Yeah, so I mean, it helps the brand. Obviously, I get the the added bonus of having awesome, awesome guests um, on my podcast and just be able to talk to them, learn from them. I learn so much every single time uh, that I have these guests, and it's for me, it's great because now I get to tell, you know, our clients, oh, hey, I was actually uh, on my podcast. Um, hey, you should try this out. I, I heard I can connect you with this person. And it, it's been just phenomenal to be able to expand my network in that in that way. Um, we've gotten a, a couple phone calls for some larger cases. Uh, I won't get too much into it, but probably at this point, about around $50 million in pipeline uh, deals that have come in just through the podcast, just people seeing it saying, oh, you know, what does this guy do? Um, so yeah. that's been awesome, uh, an awesome benefit. It's not really the reason why I started it. I just really wanted to, you know, kind of get the get the name out there, get the brand out there, learn from people, um, and it's just been it, it's been awesome. I, I've enjoyed every second of it. Um, and maybe we'll have to have you on a, at some point to talk about yeah. uh, buying and selling businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, you're right. Learning. I feel like if you're always just trying to seeking out to learn more, to gain more knowledge and wisdom. It almost just makes you better teacher at what you're doing, right? Or a better communicator at what you're doing. The more you learn, and so. I and I know it. you just started out on these uh, these podcasts. I mean, you probably feel the same way. I mean, I've watched a few of them already, and they've been phenomenal. Uh, I mean, yep. goodness, uh, I, I've learned so much just from from watching them, listening to them. So, uh, have you felt the same way? I mean, are you just are you soaking it up uh, all of the the knowledge and information that your guests are providing? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I am, I love doing the interview part. And I think I talked to you about this before, the editing and the production. Oh man, that's a whole nother business. So I'm glad I outsourced that. But um, I am, it's the same way. You mentioned your pipeline is, is building same here. Like, it, and I've only done, I think I've only aired like two. I've probably done six episodes by now, but I try to air them out slowly. 
And yeah, just the, the outreach from those two alone has, you know, increased my pipeline. And again, I wasn't trying to do that. I'm trying to learn from others. I'm trying to interview the expert, right? And, or interview the people that have bought and sold to tell their story. And so those stories just resonate. Um, and those conversations resonate with individuals and then, you know, hopefully everybody can gain value from it. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how that works, how, you know, at the end of the day, when you're not trying for something that it actually comes to you. And I I think that's such a weird aspect of human nature. If you keep searching for, um, you know, Oh, I got to find a deal. I got to find a deal and you'll never find it. And then the moment you stop looking, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then speaking of that, not trying, it kind of leads into a segue to something I wanted to ask you. So outside of your socials and your podcast, I mean, there's the, there's the fun term of cold outreach, cold email, cold calls. You do any of that? How, how does it work for you if you do? Yeah. So, I mean, look, cold, cold calls, I mean, very rarely, uh, I don't really need to do that. The people reach out to me mostly on LinkedIn, just from being open, honest and talking about my experiences. I've found that a lot of people are just reaching out, mm-hmm. um, do a lot of, uh, marketing through like online, like Google ad, things like that. So I haven't really, you know, it keeps the phones ringing, coming in. So that's been really helpful. Now, do I never send cold emails? Do I never do cold outreach? Of course I do. I think everybody does. And if you're not, you probably should be doing a little bit of it. Sure. Um, in, in my cold outreach, it's not really, you know, it's not, Hey, it looks like you're selling your business. Give me a call. It's, yeah. you know, it's more towards the, I mean to it, right? How do you yeah, know? It's more, it's more really just focused on like, Hey, Jared, um, I noticed that, uh, you know, you work with people who are selling their businesses. I, I Based on what we do, we help people defer capital gains taxes. I don't know if this is something that would add value to you know you for your clients. If you think it might be interesting, you know, here's our website. Check it out. Let me know what you think. If you have some questions or if you're interested, um, let's get on a call. And and that's it. You know, I don't want to yeah. sell anything. I'm really not selling anything. It's more of just a value add that a lot of people can provide for their clients and for business owners. I mean it's the ultimate value add. They get to add a couple extra million dollars yeah. or a hundred thousand dollars to, you know, their portfolio and, you know, eventually they're going to pay it, but they, they get to start with a little extra and fund their retirement especially. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause it's, your, it's like you're almost seeing this shift, right? Where, I mean, the real estate community, they're all about gold, gold, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in my world, it's discussed. Uh, let's say I'm a buyer and Instead of getting broker deals, I want to get off market. Someone who's delayed off market. Well, they're getting inundated with email, right? These 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 buyer or sorry, these sellers. And so, email is not. It it might be effective, but it's not very efficient, right? You got to yeah. send thousands and thousands of emails, and you got to get through the herd. And then, you know, with the cold with cold calling, uh, there was a there was a company that did a stat. I think they took a sample of like 250 deals that were closed, but only like 10, 5% of those 250 were, were through cold call. Wow. Right. So it, it's, it, you're almost seeing this shift, like, like, and I struggle. That's one reason I asked you because I struggle sometimes. Should I be cold out doing cold, more cold outreach, cold call, but you're only seeing the shift amongst the generations that it's tell your story tell it online, tell it through another format. And then, you know, I don't want this to sound lazy, right? We're not lazy Gen Z and millennials, but it's almost, this is the way it's going. Like tell your story and then the traffic will come and get, and and referrals will come versus being so direct and so, you know, in your face about it. Right. Yeah. Well, let me, let me give you an example about that. And so I've heard the same thing where it's, you know, you know, Gen Z is lazy, millennials are lazy, you know, whatever. Um, and so let me ask you this. How long do you think it would take you to make a thousand cold calls? Well, what if there was a way, LinkedIn, to make one post and get a thousand impressions on it? Yeah. <laughs> and have a thousand people see you or, you know, maybe it goes viral. Maybe you get 10,000, maybe you get yeah. 20,000. How long right. do you think it would have taken you to have 20,000 people Right. See what you are talking about. Learn about you. Learn about your business. Get yeah. yourself out there. It would take forever. I don't think you could cold call twenty thousand people in a year without being drained. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had a 
tweet go viral, thankfully, fortunately, um, a couple of weeks ago. I shared a I shared something free, go figure. Shared a free financial model. Yeah. And everybody wanted the model. So everyone reached out and the number was pretty pretty big. I can't remember. It was like 300, 400 impressions, something like that. Uh, 400,000, I should say. Um, and so you're right. Like, I, There's no way I could have reached that many people doing cold email or cold, cold call. Um, by the way, you need to get, you're, you're very good at LinkedIn. You need to bring that, that world over Twitter. I think there's some Twitter community folks, whether they're in real estate or buying and selling businesses that that, that, that you could uh, benefit from or they could benefit from you. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll have to, I'll make one today. Yeah. Let's wrap it up here with a few questions. What, what's one of your proudest moments in life, whether it's business, whether it's personal, you know, what is the proudest, you know, moments or compliment, accomplished uh, mints that you have? Paul? Yeah, man, maybe a little sappy, a little cheesy, but I think it was um, when my girlfriend said yes to, uh, to dating me when I, uh, I somehow magically don't ask me how got her to date me. Uh, that, that probably was the best, uh, best thing that's ever happened. And then I don't think that that will get topped until uh, the day I marry her. Um, yeah. so, uh, that's gotta be the, uh, the proudest moment in my life. Love it. Love it. And, uh, you're, you're fairly young. You got a lot of life ahead of you. You know, what's next? Like, how do you want to be remembered? Give us a sense of, you know, the next few chapters in future. Yeah. So I want to be remembered as someone who just helped everybody. Um, I, I think my biggest fear in life is just being ordinary, just being normal. I, I you know, as a kid, you kind of want to fit in, right? You're, yeah. you're trying to be normal. You go to, you know, elementary school and all the kids are doing something and you're like, Oh, well, I want to do that. You know, you go to middle school, you go to high school, you go to college. And, and the biggest thing is trying to fit in, right? You want to be with your peers. And then I realized that like, I do not want that. I do not want a normal life. I do not want to fit in. Um, I want to change the way people think about life. I want to motivate others to do more things, to do good in the world. I just want to leave the world a little bit of a better place than, you know, I was brought into. And um, with the way the world is right now, it's it's a hard task, but I, I just love um, the opportunity to wake up every day and and try and make that change. I I volunteer at a, a youth league for for kids with disabilities so they can play baseball. Um, and it's like literally one of my favorite things that I can do. If anyone listening is in the Los Angeles area, the Simi Valley area, that's where I'm located. Um, come out, check it out, hit me up, volunteer to coach with me. It's, it's such a blast. Um, little things like that. It just, it makes such a difference in the world. And I think that we just need more of it. So, um, yeah, to, to long, long answer, but to answer your question, I just, yeah, I just want to make a difference. Yeah. Meaningful, impactful. I love it. Just. Real quick, this brings me, uh, you mentioned kind of geolocation there. and Yeah. Your services from uh, Engineered Capital Gain Solutions can be in any state? Yep. We work nationwide. Okay. Okay. Um, and last question, one of my favorite questions I like to ask all our guests. Again, we talked about this a little bit, but putting on that sales hat, um, you know, what is, if you if you had to go find that one big client, um, or there was this dream client that you had and you had three opportunities or, or three channels to reach this client. You have cold call, you have email, or you have somehow get in person, get in front of this person in some form or fashion, whether it's lunch, coffee, dinner, maybe if you're just walking up to their office. I don't know. What, you know, what, which one would you choose? I don't think you can be skin to skin, shake hands face-to-face, you know, getting in front of them, they can feel you, they can feel your, you know, their, your presence, your smile, your charisma. I think it's the best way to, to meet with somebody. There, there's really no better way to do it. Now, if, if you can't do that, um, I would probably throw the other two out the door. Cold calls really never work unless you do a million of them. Yeah. Um, you know, cold email, it's going to go to their spam and they probably won't even care about it. Um, <laughs> and so I would try LinkedIn after that. that that's pretty much it. Yeah, but yeah. I would, yeah. I, I think that you can't really get past the face-to-face meeting up with somebody. Um, I don't know about you. Does anyone ever ask you what your preference would be? No, but I appreciate you asking. So I think you're right, man. I think I would definitely do in person. Now, but here's the thing, like in person, 
it's not as easy to do, right? To just pick up and say, hey, I'm going to get in person. And so but, I think what I would substitute to really but, refine that in person or, is I would go to a conference. If I know X and X, you know, I'm trying to get like a refrigeration company as a client, and I know there's a refrigeration conference, I'm going to that conference, right? I'm going to spend two grand. I'm going to spend the three grand. Okay. I'm getting there in person. And so, yes, for me, it is definitely in person. Um, it's just, and especially coming out of COVID, man, we all went through staying behind these screens digitally. And so it just feels good. I was in a conference this week, man. It just feels good to be in front of people. You're seeing what Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Facebook, Amazon, even Google now, they're asking people to come back, right? And so you got to get in person internally and externally. Right. I think it's just that's who we are as humans and creatures. And so I think it's beneficial for us to, to be. The I would best. agree. hundred percent. This has been awesome. Uh, Paul, man, I think a lot of people are going to take, um, take some notes on this one. And, you know, there's someone that's out there that's, that's exiting. There's someone out there that might be selling a piece of real estate. Um, and they, they hate taxes. We all hate taxes. How they reach out to you, man. Yeah. So, I mean, look, best way to reach out to me, I'm very active on LinkedIn, like you mentioned. So it's just my first and last name. It's Paul Ranieri, R-A-N-I-E-R-I on LinkedIn. Um, or you can reach out to me. My email is P-R-A-N-I-E-R-I at E-C-G-S-I-N-C.com. Yeah, those are going to be the two best ways. And uh, you can check out my podcast. Hopefully by the time this comes out, uh, Jared's already on there. So you guys can watch our episode where we talk all about him. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Nice. And what's the name of that podcast? Yeah, the podcast is Tax Strategy Digest. It's on all major podcasting platforms. Um, it's also on my weekly LinkedIn newsletter. So be sure to check that out as well. Love it. We'll leave it there, Paul. Thanks again so much for sharing your time and wisdom and knowledge. And uh, we look forward to, to doing it again. Jared, thanks so much. Appreciate you. For a more unique experience, We also record these conversations in video format, which can be found on our website by visiting arcbusinessexits.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for tuning in.